Hello and welcome to the first edition of Clockwork Chronicles. My name is Yomi Ayeni and I'm here to offer an insider's guide to Clockwork Watch, an interactive and participatory story that I created about 11 years ago. The narrative itself is told through comic books, immersive theatre, role play and other mediums. Now, we are at the tail end of 2023 and Clockwork Watch, the story itself, has so far spawned 10 graphic novels, hosted multiple immersive events with organisations like the British Library, the Royal Observatory, Kendall College, the Lakes International Comic Arts Festival, International Maritime Museum, Latitude Festival, Scottsdale Public Library in Arizona, Weekend at the Asylum, and quite a few more. Now, this podcast is a chance to explain the history of Clockwork Watch, but also offer an insight into how it came about, chat with some of the contributors, um, as well as encourage anyone interested in being part of the story to jump in and help co-create the universe. Clockwork Watch is a living story. And it has been like that from day one. I guess the first question is, what is Clockwork Watch? Well, there are various ways of explaining that. But I guess the more interesting at this point is what has sustained this narrative for more than 11 years. And that is the story. Now, the book themselves, which is more or less the calling card, I guess, is about um, Queen Victoria inviting an Indian kinetic engineer over to the UK to bring a power cell that is used to mobilise a generation of clockwork automatons, clockwork slaves or clockwork servants, as we call them. Now, this Indian is a kinetic engineer. He does not come to the UK as an economic migrant. He doesn't come as a slave, but he more or less arrives as the person who puts great back into Great Britain. In fact, I, I've, I've, I've created a, a character that I believe is more or less um, the saviour of, of the age of the nation. Now, he's a Sikh. And if you go into records at, at the House of Commons, if you go into Hansards, you will find out that even Winston Churchill said there wouldn't be a Great Britain if not for the Sikh nation. And um, being a black person, it was so easy for me to actually start this story that looks at a colonial age, to start it from the perspective of a black person, an African person. But I felt, well, let's weave a bit of history into this narrative. Let's do something totally and utterly different and bring a bit of reality to the table and use it to pique people's interest and actually get them to think about what Clockwork Watch is. Um, as I said, it's a story told across multiple platforms and over the past 10 years, we have created various ways of engaging with this narrative in ways which, you know, people could create their own characters, they could create their own stories, they could create their own artefacts, but use Clockwork Watch as a springboard with, through which they can actually promote their own respective ideas. Now, how did I stumble across this rather bizarre story? Being a black person... Um, starting a story from India. Well, I've never been to India. I am not a Sikh. Um, um, but the people who've helped me along the way, who I'll be bringing on to this podcast over this, over this particular series, will explain why they helped, why they supported, and what they contributed to the world. But first, it came about 
when I was approached by a bunch of friends who wanted to host a party uh, for a bit of assistance. Now, I also, through youth, have been DJing and uh, I've known to play around the world as well as host parties and played in nightclubs. And I'm part of a bigger community and these friends wanted to host a party. So I said, you know what, I'll jump in, let's do this. So we brought on board the Art House Party, which is another collective in London who do these amazing art parties. Zombies Sound System with Shane Watcher, who's a very well-known, very well-known DJ. Um, we also brought on board Unit 7, who had this cavernous warehouse um, on Cable Street, which is, which is, you know, Cable Street was where a lot of really bizarreness happened years gone by. Um, it's it's where uh, a lot of the fascists decided to make a stand and the community kind of rose up against them. Um, so launching this story there was very, very important to me. And, uh, and we got a bunch of other DJs in to help. Anyway, we decided we were going to host this party. It was going to be on New Year's Eve. We were going to do New Year's Eve as it ought to be done. In other words, you do not need to pay £50 to get into a nightclub you can pay, I think it was about £15 or 10 or £15 to get in. Um, I remember we bought a load of cake at about 3am. We brought out this amazing selection of, of pastries and cream cakes that we'd put in the fridge. That we were just offering people free cake. We had absinthe, you know. But the thing that was unique was the team came together and they decided they wanted to host a party and the theme was steampunk. I didn't have a clue what steampunk was at that point. So what? What's this? So spent some time reading up again about it. Um, understood the aesthetic. In fact, I had read books and graphic novels and seen films about the particular steampunk genre, but I didn't quite know what it was called. And over the years of trying to sell this story into publishers and into into advertising agencies, I said it's steampunk, and people you can see their their eyes roll. That what the hell's this? And then I say, oh, Industrial Revolution and Victoriana. And they say, oh, yes, now we get it. Anyhow, this was a time when steampunk wasn't known that well. It was 2007. And we hosted this party and we had tons of people turn up. It was amazing. In fact, at midnight, New Year's Eve midnight, we had the best part of two to 300 people outdoors still trying to get in. And we decided that we were going to serve everybody an absinthe cocktail at midnight. So being the organizer of this party, organizers of this party, we went out of the gig and with big trays and full of drinks and were handing them to people saying, you've paid to come into this gig. Part of the money that you paid has gone towards buying drinks. So this is your party and this is your drink. And we're really sorry that security is a little bit tight, um, but you will get in. Anyhow, so this party went really, really well. At the tail end, I noticed there was something rather unique and rather strange. I've played to all crowds around the world, yet in this particular gig, the number of people of colour were less than five, five, six. I just thought, what the hell's going on? So after the party, went out and started talking to friends. I said, hey guys, you supported me in so many of my endeavours. What, what's up with this? And I said, yeah, 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 we, we, we like your music and, you know, nothing, nothing personal other than we don't want to come to a gig where people are dressing up and playing lords and ladies and paying homage to a Victorian age we would rather forget. And then it hit me. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't realise there was, in my mind, there was a disconnect between steampunk 
and the colonial age. So I decided to do something about it. And that was the catalyst that led to me creating a story where Queen Victoria invites an Indian family to decamp from the warm climes of Calcutta and immerse themselves in the murky, soot-ridden, pea-super world that was England. And that is how the story starts in the first book, which is called The Arrival. So, over the past number of years, we have had events in locations that were central to that particular age. And London is full of so many of these places. They still do exist. So, like, the tunnels underneath London Bridge was where we launched our very first immersive event, where we had a street market full of traders who created, and craftsmen who created things that were worthy of the Victorian label that you would normally give them. Lots of them there. In fact, we immersed people for the best part of 10 hours under in a tunnel with hardly any daylight. And that was how the story itself started. So, this podcast is to lift the lid on clockwork, to bring some of the contributors who have helped develop it over the years to the table so they can explain what they've done, how they ran into the story, what it meant, and more or less, you know, what it, it has gone on to mean. Because what they got in, into in the first place is totally different from where it is now. Um, but also talk to some of the organisations and, uh, and people that have opened their doors and let us step in and create these worlds as well as giving you a blow-by-blow account of each one of the books and how those respective narratives have threaded their way together. To give you a little bit of an insight, the first eight books are broken into three distinct chapters. The first book is told from the perspective of an eight-year-old boy who arrives from Calcutta. The second book is told from, from the perspective of an automaton who gains his sentience and wants to know what the hell is happening in this world. And the third book is from the perspective of a mad scientist who's born out of wedlock and finds himself in a world where he has to make a decision as to whether he's going to free the automatons or whether he's going to oppress them. And then the story blows up from there. So, This is the Clockwork Chronicles. My name is Yomi Ayeni and I am your guide to the Clockwork Watch world. The first proper edition of this podcast will talk to some of the people who helped me structure that very first party. And I would love to know what their insight it was, but also what they think it has become. So please do listen to this podcast. Please do subscribe to this podcast. on whichever channel you so choose or whichever app you use. And please, we'd welcome comments, um, feedback, or whatever you can give. So, as I said, my name is Yomi Ayeni, and this is the Clockwork Chronicles. The first edition launches in December. Goodbye.